0: This is part three of Controlled Demolition. On July 28th, an editor at Breitbart had a widely shared tweet showing that Google had essentially eliminated Breitbart's presence in search results. In 2017, their visibility dropped 99%. Unless you're the sort of person who digs for political information on the internet, you probably missed what Breitbart was writing about the very subject upon which you were searching for information. I am no fan of Breitbart and don't find them particularly responsible. I rarely read it. That does not mean I'm comfortable with Google deciding what people get to read. Even if you could make the case for eliminating dangerous health content, which no one should be making, there is no argument whatsoever to eliminate articles that show far right bias. This is political manipulation. If they were concerned about dangerous behavior on the internet, this is it. If you don't believe me, type white male doctor into Google and click images. Now Google socialism and racism. Do you mean capitalism and racism? No, I don't. Knowing what you know about how Google search works, how do you explain what you see? the South Pasadena Unified School District in California announced that it would be doing classes online only, but students at the eighth grade level or younger could access a daycare program, a favor to parents so they could go back to work. It's obviously ridiculous to have children go to a place with other kids where adults watch over them, likely an adult from the same risk group as teachers, if that place is not a school. It's the same as school in terms of the virus, but the kid's focus is not learning. It's waiting for the day to end. Perhaps even worse, the South Pasadena School District basically announced to the world that kids over eighth grade would be home all day and most likely unsupervised. How many of these kids will pay any attention to Zoom classes, even if they do decide to show up for them? Another district announced which days were on and off for which kids because they were split into two groups based on whether their street address was an odd or even number. It's like saying, hey, here's where a kid is hanging out alone. Once again, this was done to, quote, save lives. At that time, 11 American states had a higher death toll than Sweden who did not lock down and still does not recommend masks. All 11 states were governed by Democrats. Not all of them had big cities. Delaware, Connecticut, and Rhode Island are on this list. All of them did the most pretend mitigation and created the most restrictive, mind-numbingly boring, five months full of the degradation of our moral character and our mental and physical well-being. And for what? The same day... According to numbers out of Texas, the chances of death for a child of one year old to nine years old were one in four million eighty five thousand three hundred and eighty three for ages 10 to 19. The chances are one in five hundred and twenty six thousand nine hundred and eighty five. Children are killed more often by everyday activities by factors of one thousand. Every year, nearly 500 kids in the 1 to 18 age group are killed by lower respiratory illness. The number of people under the age of 24 who have died this year with coronavirus is under 300. Donald Trump announced that anyone caught tearing down a statue on federal property would face 10 years in prison. That was the end of statues being torn down. Immediately. The end. Antifa Black Lives Matter and their bewildered followers don't care about tearing down statues or they'd be risking prison for it. They care about getting attention and tearing away shared history and not just the times we'd like to forget but shouldn't. Also on July 28th, Breitbart posted a video of a press conference where a group called America's Frontline Doctors, clinical practitioners from around the country, talked about covid data that was not being shared with the public including multiple doctors recommending the use of hydroxychloroquine in the early stages of COVID, saying they had amazing results and their patients were not dying. Rather, they were healing and recovering just fine. A sane society would have thanked them for standing up to do what's right and then interrogated their case results to make sure the patients had COVID, to make sure they had been given hydroxychloroquine and to check on their current status. If these doctors decided to publicly risk their reputations and their medical licenses, you can imagine they'd be happy to prove their side of the story. When is the other side going to be asked to defend their work? As yet, they cannot. Where are the so-called journalists who are supposed to be zeroed in on finding the truth? If what those doctors were saying is true, then we should, once again, be open immediately. So, of course... It cannot be true. After the video was seen millions of times, Facebook removed it and doctors in the video had their social media accounts taken down. They were defamed and dismissed as conspiracy theorists and focused their most harsh mistreatment and derision on Stella Emanuel, a black Nigerian-American woman who moved to America to practice medicine and save lives. They discovered Dr. Emmanuel had some strange religious and spiritual beliefs. They slimed a black Nigerian American woman's religious beliefs because the pharmaceutical companies who pay for all the advertising on the news didn't like what she's saying. By even the most generous standards, this attack directed this way at this person is racist, colonialist, sexist, Othering, religious bigotry, and it would be mansplaining as long as the one doing it was a man. But it is none of these things because they're doing it, and Democrats, in their saintliness, are not capable of being racist or sexist or any ist or phobe. People whine that her beliefs are disqualifying. If that's so, how can we pretend that doctors who believe there are 57 genders and that men can get pregnant? are to be trusted to practice medicine. Personally, I would prefer to take a pill that's been used safely for 65 years when it's handed to me by a witch doctor than do anything I'm told to do when the person commanding me can be so easily co-opted and betray their own field of study for political goals and political power. That's not to mention the fact that no one is stopping Christian fundamentalists from practicing medicine. Even if they believe that shellfish are an abomination, that women should be stoned if they don't scream loudly enough while being raped because they must have liked it, that the planet is 6,000 years old and that the son of God is returning to end the world and take the chosen to paradise. There are still rabbis who practice oral suction circumcisions. I encourage you not to look this up. I don't care about any of these beliefs, and I am not saying this to judge them but pretending this is somehow substantively different than believing in demonic possession is preposterous in a world where the Vatican still performs exorcisms. It seems like this is exactly the sort of situation, a coherent and functional system of intersectionality would be able to parse and solve. But of course that system is only used to harm those who disagree. It can't be used by those who disagree because then they're just exerting the power of facts and logic, which, as we know, is remnant white supremacy. Also on the 28th, the Department of Justice reported that a Harvard University professor was charged with tax fraud. He was previously indicted for making false statements to federal authorities about his participation in China's Thousand Talents program, an effort by the Chinese Communist Party beginning in 2008 to recruit leading international experts in scientific research, innovation, and entrepreneurship in foreign countries and nurture them. He failed to report income he received from, of all places, the Wuhan University of Technology. Harvard rents an office to Jeffrey Epstein. Harvard's endowment is $1.9 billion. The Harvard degree is now little more than the statement, just trust us, okay? Okay. You can't argue with someone from Harvard, so please sit this one out. The big brains are on it. Thank God. Rashida Tlaib declined to endorse Joe Biden. She is too good, too pure to be tainted by the forbidden fruit of capitalism. Her 11 supporters might just sit this one out. Sweden and Denmark advised against masking, clearly unable to access the best, the science, and the best the data, or surely they'd have chosen otherwise. Sweden is not even recommending masks on public transportation. And of course, they're right, as they have been the whole time. The disease is gone in Sweden. There is no point in pretending otherwise. The people demanding you do as they say point to Sweden and Denmark as ideal quasi socialist models for when America's will to exist becomes fully broken. They have government provided health care. It seems the socialists can choose either the government health care or the masks. But if the Swedes are the models for health care, it might be time to respect them for not locking down and not requiring masks. Of course, the socialists want it both ways. You know, like not wanting to work, but also wanting to get paid. It's so frustrating. The Washington Post and other news outlets determined that the word black should be capitalized when it's referring to a black American. But don't worry about having to develop other new habits. You will not have to capitalize white. The logic here is that black Americans, by virtue of their skin color, have a shared experience, whereas white Americans don't represent any exact thing, so it shouldn't be capitalized. What does this even mean? I would prefer they just say this is how they want it to be, rather than trying to explain it. As if only the truly intelligent could understand something so patently stupid. Apparently, they recognized how patently stupid this idea was and realized they'd have to revise their initial recommendation. Now they will be capitalizing white, too. That counts as two very brave accomplishments, and they should be applauded for how they've empowered people out of their lockdown-induced joblessness. I'm sure black Americans will sleep better knowing that while over 40% of black owned businesses have closed permanently, some white bloggers at the Washington post decided to give them a capital B over a hundred police agencies in Milwaukee said they would not be providing protection for the democratic national convention after Milwaukee banned the use of crowd control measures like tear gas. The Democrats had already downsized their convention site because of coronavirus, of course. Joe Biden will not be traveling to the convention. They will try to make Kamala Harris a star, something for people to get excited about. It's unlikely they will. Kamala Harris gained no traction whatsoever in her primary, dropping out before the first votes were cast. She received one less delegate than Tulsi Gabbard, who had exactly one delegate. Tulsi, for her part made Kamala Harris look like the corrupt and insincere fool she is on stage at the Democratic debate in late July of 2019. On July 29th, Bloomberg reported that herd immunity seemed to be developing in Mumbai's poorest areas. That's right. One of the poorest places in the entire world made its way through the disease. Do you imagine they were all sheltered in their undersized and overpriced studio apartments in Williamsburg, masturbating with hand sanitizer like Ezra Klein? University of St. Andrews, one of Scotland's top schools, released a preprint study showing that most transmission occurred within the first five days after infection, and there was virtually no transmission after day nine. PCR tests can be positive for COVID-19 or other viruses, 83 days after infection. Symptomatic carriers are far more likely to spread the virus than asymptomatic carriers. As all other research indicates, and older people are both more likely to spread the virus and more likely to be infectious for a longer period. This sort of information should shift people's understanding of the virus. Why doesn't it? Anthony Fauci's department at the National Institute of Health, the NIAID, shut down a study they were set to perform on the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin because everybody knows it doesn't work. I'm kidding. It was because they didn't bother enrolling anyone for it. The New York Times provided cover for the teachers unions and Democrats as they continued to press for political concessions in exchange for passing a relief package by publishing a story about how teachers believed it was too dangerous to conduct live classes via Zoom, much less in person. ESPN reported, shockingly, on the NBA's partnership with the Chinese Communist Party to develop Chinese basketball talent in Xinjiang, where most of the athletes are Muslim Uyghurs. The facilities were run by the Chinese Communist Party government. The players were routinely beaten and abused. One million of their friends, family, strangers with whom they share nothing but ethnicity and religion, were ushered into boxcars and shipped off to concentration camps where they are disabused of their Islamic beliefs and converted into loyal members of the CCP. Or, you know, you know what happens if they don't become loyal, don't you? You must know. Trader Joe's became an unlikely hero when they said no to the cancel mob and announced they would continue with their product names based on the ethnic backgrounds associated with various food products. Trader Jose's salsa. Trader Jato's marinara sauce. Some teenager figured out a new way to be offended. And so people trying to run their business in a difficult time were forced to take a break to chaperone nap time. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC, said on video available to everyone that school closures were causing suicide and addiction among young people in numbers that make coronavirus look insignificant. He is correct. No one cared. Perhaps people are wearing the mask over their eyes. I've seen people in public trying to block coronavirus with their hands, and I wish I was joking. Michelle Obama released a podcast on Spotify, which is going to be about hosting idiots who will say bad things about Trump while she tells you to go vote. Spotify recently signed a deal with Joe Rogan for a hundred million dollars. The Obamas who already have a production deal with Netflix signed a deal with Spotify in June of 2019. The amount was not reported. Spotify is paying the former first couple to host a political show where they are able to direct supporters and have a huge hand in creating regulation for Spotify. I'm not sure how this helps artists. Oh, wait, that's Beyonce and Jay Z who help artists on their platform title. No, sorry. Title doesn't support artists either, but Beyonce and Jay Z support the exact same people as Spotify. It's a good thing. We all love corporate art and music now, or this might be disturbing. CNBC reported about the continued gains on Wall Street for major tech corporations whose business is booming in lockdown. The longer people are trapped at home, the more they get paid. The more people imagine COVID as horrifying, the more they stay trapped in their homes. A handful of men are making billions of dollars while middle-class families' lives are destroyed and their children's futures are forfeited. How would an acting President Harris fix millions of families' newfound poverty. More money for social programs, of course. In Portland, a group of middle-aged single Marxist cat ladies put on yellow T-shirts to create a human shield between federal officers and the almost completely nonviolent rioters as male gender studies majors who'd selected their intellectual pursuit based on access to sexless girls who don't like them tried to blind other humans with lasers. They managed to snuff the eyesight of three federal officers by burning their retinas with bright green lights. Very woke indeed. The so-called wall of moms provided moral protection as spoiled, artless little twerps peacefully protested with weapons created from household items as advised in their Antifa chat rooms, which much like chat roulette, is a bunch of genuinely pathetic men achieving great heights in hopes that a real lady will watch, but ending up only seeing other people exactly like them, wanking in public with a black flag behind them. Each day, the moms would bring the child laborers new uniforms. The wall of moms ended when one mom accidentally poured bleach in with the dark colors. She'd been distracted, clapping for her son, watching him on the TV news as he singed the retinas of another human until blindness. Connor, the Marxist fool got cranky when his mom brought him his clothes, all faded and pink and it caused a revolt. I'm kidding. The wall of moms succumbed to an internal intersectional war after three days. Apparently there were too many powerful women in the group. And so they had to decide who the most powerful was. They did so by race, and then the white women realized it wasn't what they signed up for. There were probably various claims of microaggressions, and then poof, nothing. No more wall. Just like Reagan. Thank goodness women could never start a war, I'm told. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom held his own mostly peaceful protest by withholding funding from cities who dared to allow their businesses to open. But that's just Gavin being Gavin. LOL. In Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine tweeted that he agreed with the statement made by the commissioner of the FDA, Stephen Hahn, that the choice to use hydroxychloroquine as a treatment should be a decision made between patient and doctor. And therefore he was blocking the Ohio board of pharmacies prohibition of the drug. Do people know this is the FDA's current stance on hydroxychloroquine? Nope. Why? It's true and rooted that a governor would not overturn a decision by pharma unless he believed people's lives might depend on it, would he? We know the position of the Ohio Board of Pharmacy. On the back of the takedown of America's frontline doctors, pharma exerted some muscle and nearly prevented Ohioans from having the same access to a potentially life-saving drug. Mike DeWine should be applauded for this decision. He will not be unless he runs into someone whose life that decision saved. Seattle police found a cache of explosives in a van. It wasn't quite the final assignment in Chuck Palahniuk's fight club, but only because this set of pasty young eunuchs aren't competent enough. Thankfully, Democrats in Congress will not even admit to Antifa's existence. New York's congressman and real-life penguin from Batman Returns, Jerry Nadler, calls the violence a myth. Hawaii Senator Mazie Hirono refuses to denounce political violence, much less Antifa and Black Lives Matter. It is unclear why it is so difficult to name what this is, domestic terrorism, carried out mostly by white men. Of course, they're not Republicans, and everyone knows that only Republicans can do bad things. On July 30th, Senator Dianne Feinstein solved racism by defending the Chinese Communist Party, saying they're, quote, growing into a respectable nation. And she says, I deeply believe that. She said this while, lest we forget, one million Muslim Uyghurs are in Chinese concentration camps. China has taken over Hong Kong, is threatening the UK after they pulled out of a 5G deal with Huawei, are threatening Taiwan because they're Taiwan got into a border skirmish with India, another nuclear nation, and seem to have entirely co-opted the state of Victoria, Australia. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy in her employ as chauffeur and errand boy for 20 years, probably completely unrelated though. On July 31st, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C. announced on Twitter that all schools would be doing remote learning until November 6th. Naturally, COVID goes away after the election. Strangely, Washington state's emergency order was set to expire on November 5th. COVID in that Democratic Party stronghold also goes away right after the election. They've since extended the date to the 25th, which, of course, is the day before Thanksgiving. Strange day to choose at random, but what a rush. It's going to feel so good when Joe and Kamala were friends, so I call her Kami, have a big win and all of a sudden life gets back to normal. We'll all praise and celebrate how not racist and sexist they are and throw roses at the feet of the statues we build to the science, and the data. Then we'll bathe the statues in gold and have the most devout, the poor, of course, pray at their feet. Once a year, we will honor their piety. That day will be International Women's Day. It'll still be called International Women's Day, and the hashtag will stay the same. But the poor should know it's also about them somehow. The New York Times reported that On the basis of the pandemic and all the very serious problems it presents, 16 states had postponed their primaries. No one really cared. I'm an avid follower of news and social media, and the primaries barely made a dent. The main media sources, other than Fox, Commentary, and The Federalist, were focused on misunderstanding the coronavirus the entire time, and then helping to make George Floyd an excuse for pandemonium while holding back body cam footage of the event that destroys both their race narrative, particularly any notion of this being an example of cops hunting black men, or of George Floyd being a fine, upstanding citizen. This is not what responsible medias do. This is what state medias do. But it just so happens that the state, does not happen to currently inhabit the White House, though it has for 30 years. The same day, Click Orlando, a local news site, published a headline reading Florida continues to report record number of COVID deaths. Florida, as one of the three red states the media told us to be very afraid of, has gotten by far the most negative attention. People who believe what the old guard media says actually think governor Ron DeSantis has done a bad job handling the crisis. This could not be more inaccurate and less data driven. Florida's mortality is a fraction of New York's and New Jersey's and Florida did not impose any brand of strict lockdown. The state media takes this and runs with it. That headline is completely detached from reality. Remember the lags in testing reporting to County to state then CDC Remember that hospitalizations lag cases and deaths lag hospitalizations. When the deaths are displayed by the day the deaths happened, rather than simply when they were reported, the curve was down steeply. I imagine Click Orlando could have figured this out. The graph displaying it was conveniently embedded in that very article with up-to-date information from that very day. Not only were Florida deaths not rising to record heights, They were quite literally declining and have not gone up in the weeks since. This has to matter. Forbes published an article widely shared by many very serious people claiming that, no, we should not do our own research when it comes to science. It's funny. They say that about our health, too. They say it about who we should believe in politics, which news channels are okay and which are not, which music we can listen to and which songs can extract the most profit. It is apparently racist and sexist to call the WAP song disgusting and an avatar of a degenerative society. Who told us that in what world is that culture? This is nothing but decadence, and we should be ashamed it arrived on our watch. We should not do our research. This is what the state tells us, and it is what the state wants. There are Nobel scientists from Oxford and Stanford, renowned health directors the world over, all of whom believe, with slight variation, the same story I've been telling you. Why don't actual experts' lives matter? The state is shunning their life's work. These men and women have worked for their entire lives to understand events like this, and all it takes for them to be ignored is Anderson Cooper's disapproval that people can realize this and still believe the narrative is well beyond me. A study on the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine was released, the first of its kind and the first of any substance. They found no efficacy against COVID-19, but it was not administered early or at the recommended dose, which is the whole point. Nevertheless, it is part of the collective set of data and should be included, regardless of how it makes you feel politically no efficacy is not danger though by any means there is no study proving hydroxychloroquine dangerous none not any because it's not dangerous a reasonable position would be that hydroxychloroquine is not a miracle cure for patients who have developed severe symptoms but since no one is in danger by using it people should have the right to take it if they so choose the narrative about hydroxychloroquine actually has a significant downside. If it works and it wasn't used because talking heads in the state media wanted to make Trump look stupid, the deaths due to lack of treatment are indeed on their heads. There was no scientifically justifiable reason to cause a freakout over a generic drug, unless, of course, you're a pharmaceutical company who pays for all the ads on state media. Four men in Los Angeles admitted to a voter fraud scheme. L.A.'s district attorney announced the men were caught providing cash and cigarettes for homeless men to write false and forged signatures on ballot petitions and voter registration forms. The D.A. did not reveal which party was responsible for this crime against its citizens. This made headlines at Fox News and was covered in other conservative outlets, but the state media did not touch it. Why not? You can imagine if this was a Republican organization trying to flip Los Angeles, of all places, the national media would be talking about it every day. It would be called VoterGate or something similarly obnoxious. But they're content to sit this one out so that the status quo of everyone knows voter fraud doesn't exist is maintained. I was recently informed by a very angry public policy PhD on Instagram named David Morar, that voter fraud does not exist. He blessed me with this knowledge while being wholly unable to explain what the difference between universal mail-in balloting and normal requested absentee mail-in balloting is. He could not explain why California voters in the second week of August received ballot notices declaring that they would soon be receiving their ballot and that the election would be held totally by mail. Polling places were deemed unnecessary. The law allows one polling place per every 10,000 residents. Considering California's active voter registry is half its population, we can assume that each polling place in a city like Merced, California, where this is happening, would mean 5,000 residents at each location. But it's actually quite a bit worse than that. Polling places have been replaced with voter assistance centers. These will not be normal polling places with machines set up. They are assistance centers, which means that if you want to vote in person, you have to wait in line with thousands of people potentially and then fill out a provisional ballot. You then hand the ballot back to a representative of the people corrupt enough to attempt to pull this off. But it's worse still. NBA China star LeBron James declared that he and his business partner Maverick Carter were starting a voting initiative out of the goodness of their hearts. They would be opening sports stadiums around the country to serve as massive centralized voting centers, you know, because someone has to look out for the ex-felons. Their organization, More Than a Vote, is an unabashedly social justice voting initiative. Far from being a brand-new Save the World project by the world's wokest Chinese asset, More Than a Vote is just an offshoot of Rock the Vote and is quite clearly operating under the same infrastructure. The founder of Rock the Vote is Jeff Aeroff. Aeroff's partner was Democratic mega-donor and power broker Steve Bing, whose body landed on the concrete 27 floors below his balcony in late June two weeks after the more than a vote initiative was announced. But it actually gets still worse. Anthony Fauci himself has said there is no COVID related reason why in-person voting should be a problem. If you can run errands, you can vote. This is obviously true. In that case, how does Gavin Newsom, who closely follows the science and the the data explain why entire cities and regions are being forced to vote with non traditional ballots, while other areas are opening stadiums where thousands of people will show up to vote, meaning there is potential for all sorts of mayhem. Should we expect that Antifa and Black Lives Matter will peacefully protest us as we walk to the polls? What happens when people are made afraid for their lives just by simply wanting to exercise their right to the franchise? It makes no sense, scientifically or otherwise, to allow thousands of voters in a centralized location while depriving them of the places they can walk to, just so the state can claim the legal capacity of the stadium was sufficient to fulfill the demands of the law. At this point, one might accept that voter fraud does indeed happen, but it's small and isolated and can't actually affect anything. That is among the most Ignorant and ungrateful thoughts an American could ever have. Countless people have died for your right to know your voice was heard, however small that voice may be. This is a form of nihilism that benefits only the people who can convince you of a wrong thing most easily. These nihilists share only one quality they convince themselves of things they know are not true. Because they are concerned about other people disapproving of their truth. Above, I called this voter manipulation a crime. It is. It is a crime against America and its citizens. And it is being effectuated by the state against us. How many of California's 5 million inactive voters moved, multiple registrations, are dead? Do you think should automatically be sent ballots? How many do you think will be sent ballots? Do you think the state doesn't know exactly where these ballots go? Which inactives won't get them? Axios published a Harris poll measuring how people's trust has grown or diminished for different institutions over the course of the pandemic. Doctors, nurses, and hospitals were up 47%. The media was down 5%, and that's not nearly enough. The airlines fared slightly worse for obvious reasons, but consider the media confronted the greatest American crisis in 60 years and managed to lose the trust of the American people through utter incompetence and malicious dishonesty. Los Angeles City Councilman Jose Huizar was indicted on 34 counts of fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, racketeering, and money laundering among them. He used the most recent redistricting to position himself as a power broker for downtown commercial real estate projects. Jose Huizar is a Democrat. None of the stories reporting this say so. And of course, it does not make national news. Why would it be important to point out rampant corruption in the country's second largest city? Why indeed? Who do you suppose the market interference in downtown real estate hurts the most? not actors and not housewives in Beverly Hills. The New York post reported that a shark who killed a woman was a great white. Thank God sharks don't have minorities or they would not have been able to report this. Seattle began implementing their anti-racism reeducation camps where white city workers were forced to implicate themselves in white supremacy by describing for the other prisoners two or three ways that their racism has harmed black people. This is neither a joke nor a misquoting. These camps are now being held around the country, in corporate America, and in local governments and government agencies. The Telegraph UK reported on how the state's demands for lockdowns, including in countries the state has no business advising. We're devastating the poor all around the world. The headline read, Western liberals, COVID myopia is condemning the world's poorest. The headline is correct. The amount to which you participate in mask and lockdown culture is the extent to which you hold the most truly disadvantaged humans on earth in the balance. There is no escape from what this has wrought and no moral balance that will go unpaid. This is indeed a reckoning in Iowa and elsewhere. Teachers began writing their own obituaries as a PR stunt for their unions in the Democratic Party. They have continued this for weeks while holding the nation's children hostage, quite literally denying the country's children, their first chances in life. How many talents will not be groomed? How many friendships will not be made? How many will be stunted emotionally and physically? How many will be abused? How many will be traumatized into drugs and alcohol to cope with what the world's most privileged people have done to them? Their priorities are centered around social justice causes, financial bailouts, and even demands to permanently ban charter schools. None of this is about COVID, and even less of it cares about the good of children. The Wall Street Journal reported on July 31st that Japan was leaning toward a preemptive military first strike against China and or North Korea as the very peaceful missile destruction threat intensified. Also on the 31st, the LA Times reported that the state of California would be releasing an additional 8,000 inmates, some of whom were not even recovered from coronavirus. They did it for, you know, the coronavirus. LeBron is making sure all of them have a chance to vote at Dodger Stadium. Heroic, isn't it? For a man who's paid by China to dominate our culture, to be looking out for the little guys, as long as those little guys can meet at Dodger Stadium and vote Democrat while Merced, California has no polling places, you know, for coronavirus. Coronavirus numbers, when broken out by date, we're still reporting numbers from mid-April, nearly four months later. You don't need to believe anyone was lying to understand that you have been deceived. When we hear 2,000 deaths reported, that sounds scary. When we hear 2,000 deaths were reported, but many of them actually happened days, weeks, or months ago, that's not scary at all. The deaths actually occurring each week were rapidly declining. CNN must have known this when they removed the coronavirus death count from the screen. The college fix ran a piece about a handful of conservatives at Yale, speaking out about how the ideological diversity at Yale among the faculty was essentially zero. This is intentional and it is enforced. It is extremely dangerous, as we now see. That day, it was reported that a company owned by Ilhan Omar's husband had pocketed over a million dollars of her campaign's $2.59 million in operating expenses. Very woke. Interestingly, Ilhan Omar is currently married to two people. It is reported in the New York Post and elsewhere that the FBI is investigating Omar because the other man she's technically married to is her own brother, who wanted to legally immigrate to the U.S. It's likely that one of our most anti American members of Congress is currently engaged in marriage fraud, but she's held up as some beacon of freedom and the power of underdogs. Why? Because of her identity. She's the first Somali-American congresswoman. The fact that you think I'm detailing a right-wing conspiracy right now simply is not my problem. The fact that you don't already know this is the media's fault, and now it is your problem. I encourage you to find out for yourself. China's subsidiary, the NBA, opened their bubble season without fans with a big tribute to Black Lives Matter complete with new social justice slogans on their backs about anything but Uyghurs in China. Nearly all the players kneeled for the national anthem as a sign of the culture believing it is bigger than the country it exists in and the good of its citizens. One man, a young player on the Orlando Magic, a black American named Jonathan Isaac, refused to kneel. After the game and the next day, the media tried to silence and defame this young black American, asking him whether or not he even thought Black Lives Matter. Isaac said, I don't think kneeling or putting on a t shirt for me personally is the answer. Jonathan Isaac should be honored for standing up for the freedom of thought. The idea that Black Lives Matter, the organization, is something to unify behind when opposed with the values of free thought and expression becomes comical. Public displays of allegiance are more about the public displays than they are about allegiance. How many of the kneeling players felt as Isaac felt, but knew they couldn't be the one to take the stand because their lives and careers could be ruined. What if the first player had been white? For being true to his own beliefs about kneeling and Black Lives Matter, he could spend the rest of his career known as most racist athlete, but the state media says we should support this sort of society. So we do. Arizona State University released their black male privilege checklist. Here are some entries from the political checklist. I don't have to choose my race over my sex in political matters. When I read African-American history textbooks, I will learn mainly about black men. They didn't even capitalize black, which tells you they're basically a Nazi. Here's another. When I learn about the civil rights movement and black power movements, most of the leaders I learn about will be black men. Why should young black Americans trying to get an education have to feel bad about this? They're entering college. They didn't write the history textbooks, but they're supposed to feel bad about what the books might say. And it's always about the textbooks, isn't it? Something like this can only happen in a perpetual state of intersectional warfare. The same day, Donald Trump sanctioned a Chinese paramilitary group linked to human rights abuses in Xinjiang province, where, lest we forget, one million Muslim Uyghurs are in concentration camps. The state of California and our pitiful, corrupt governor, Gavin Newsom, introduced tax legislation that would raise taxes on California millionaires and put the total tax for these Californians at 54 percent of income. Gavin has created 50 billion dollars of debt in the five months of his bungled coronavirus response. California's unemployment rate is 16 percent. Who will pay for his mistakes, if not the wealthy, who are so very serious and so very democratic that they would never blame any of this on him from inside the comfort of their mask while inside the comfort of their cars. But it gets worse. The tax would apply retroactively to January. Not only does Gavin want to raise taxes on people during the worst job market in living memory. He wants to do it on money they have already earned. This is craven and depraved. The only way this isn't seen as an outrage is to be a proper Californian by believing whatever the state tells us. One of the most disappointing aspects of this entire period is being shown how cowed and unthinking Americans have become. We take our freedom for granted, expecting it to be guarded. We take our speech for granted. So long as we say all the right things, unlike that other group of people who's not us, who have all sorts of opinions as if they never even heard the right one. They must have. And they didn't believe it. That's so ignorant. Those pitiful fools with their families and their fishing and their high school football and their religion and their guns. Maybe they really haven't heard the right opinion on how to live a good life yet. They're more focused on the other stuff, I guess. Too much of this country has accepted commands from our betters and spent the majority of its time berating friends and neighbors to make sure that the democracy of their collective beliefs would prove them right and good. Are you saying the number on CNN's screen every day? Okay, me too. We're both smart. Ha ha. That's so great to realize how smart we both are. So yeah, big number, huh? Oh yeah, terrible number. Well, you know, Trump, a good time was had by all very smart people learned that each thinks himself very smart. Indeed, the same day, a study in the Lancet by the International Food Policy Research Institute estimated that the pandemic, really the lockdowns, would put 140 million people worldwide into extreme poverty. This is what the bloodless technocrats and their followers have wrought. We have destroyed the lives and the futures of hundreds of millions of people under the pretense of saving a few thousand or even a few hundred thousand. The fact that the state has not even allowed for the discussion on the moral trade off here should be more than enough to show you what they truly are. Why didn't state media present the potential downside consequences of lockdown when the nation was deciding what to think? There is only one rooted truth here. It's because they didn't want to. Of course, they had to know, didn't they? If I knew that renowned scientists didn't agree with the central narrative in March, how did state media miss it? Don't they have, you know... Experts. An article in Politico about Kamala Harris's contentious relationship with Chris Dodd, the chair of Biden's VP search committee, noted as an aside that Los Angeles mayor Eric, the whispering idiot was also a member of the search committee in between ranting at Angelenos on Twitter and scolding them for exercising minimal amounts of freedom and Eric was spending most of his time focused on which female black Democrat would be the acting president as Joe Biden naps in the Lincoln bedroom. Los Angeles has endured five months of capricious rules, crime, riots, homelessness, unemployment and unconscionable cost of living relative to the new downgraded lifestyle. And Eric Garcetti was on phone calls with Stacey Abrams and Elizabeth Warren so he could set himself up for national leadership roles in a Biden administration, perhaps even a cabinet position. This would allow Eric to foist the disaster he created onto a new Democratic Party stooge who will likely be even less competent and prepared to handle the problems that our mayor and our governor have created. What's more concerning? is that it does not yet feel like California has reached bottom. That night, very enlightened protesters threw Bibles in a burn pile in front of Portland's federal courthouse while calling strangers protecting a building Nazis. This is what our society permits now. We now accept forms of heinous moral depravity while condemning totally acceptable behavior. There's even a new genre of woke blogging centered around abolishing miscegenation, commonly known as interracial marriage. The current social justice movement, it seems, is trying to overturn all the things the civil rights movement accomplished. They are resegregating, condemning interracial love, legitimizing violence as an acceptable form of protest, and are even rescinding anti-discrimination language in California's constitution. CDC Director Robert Redfield, in a discussion about reopening schools, admitted that the infection fatality rate for children was literally one in a million, as it had been the entire time. This didn't stop the teachers' unions, and it didn't open schools. And it didn't prevent the Democratic Party from using school closures as political leverage against a president who sees right through it. Around this time, various political hacks affiliated with the Democratic Party began writing op-eds about how Joe Biden should not give Donald Trump the opportunity to debate him because debates were a trite and worthless relic or because the president doesn't deserve a platform, whatever that could mean, or that it would just be Donald Trump lying to everyone to make Joe look bad. Biden has said in mostly English sentences that he can't wait to debate Donald Trump. I suppose we shall see. Regardless, these op-eds didn't fall from the sky. They're trial balloons to see what the public will respect and what will make the public revolt. There is no justification for declining to debate. The American people should not be forced to vote for a candidate who can't even participate in a dialogue with the president of the United States. This should go without saying. Ballots in El Paso County, Colorado appeared, color-coded, based on the voters' party. It's as if they want to introduce measures of fraud and uncertainty into the electoral process. There is no other conclusion to draw. There is no justifiable reason to make what are intended to be secret ballots less secret. Anti-lockdown protests sparked up in Berlin. The state media said these Germans were being led by neo-Nazis and conspiracy theorists, a.k.a. people who are doing something the media doesn't like. I'm sure they did extensive research on the makeup of the crowd. Perhaps the peacefulness with which they marched wasn't properly intensified. Violence and shootings broke out in Richmond, Virginia, as BLM and Antifa occupied a Confederate monument. It's a good thing this riot was so intensely peaceful, or otherwise we might have heard about it on CNN. Protesters in Louisville, Kentucky, forced local businesses to pay them a portion of their income as a form of reparations or risk having their businesses shut down by the mob or through bombing their Yelp reviews. This is mafia behavior, literally a protection racket. The Atlantic published another very serious piece entitled, beware of facts, man. The thesis is that people who argue on the basis of facts were enforcing patriarchy and white supremacy, and that usually the ones using facts were men. So now facts are bad. Meanwhile, woke academics were attempting to prove to writer James Lindsay that two plus two did not necessarily equal four of all the parts of Orwell's 1984 that have played out over the last few years and all the ones we can expect to play out in the future. I had assumed the least likely of these was the claim that two plus two is five. But here we are. A group of teachers unions joined the Democratic Socialists of America in demanding a ban on charter schools, an end to private school choice and standardized tests, police-free schools, and of course more federal money. These demands have nothing to do with coronavirus, but everything to do with holding children's futures hostage in pursuit of political goals and poor ones at that. The same day, it was reported that an 11-year-old boy had committed suicide. In the country, since COVID began, it has been an accessory to death of less than 40 children under 18. More children will commit suicide as a result of lockdown than could possibly have died from coronavirus. And before you say it, yes, we did know this at the beginning. It was simply ignored. Switzerland reported that just 3.5% of its COVID infections had come from interactions in bars and restaurants. Like every other place on earth, the majority of infections occurred within the home. Yet another reason that lockdowns did not work and could not have worked. The New York Times published an article about the quote botched New York primary and how that signaled trouble for November. New York just called a winner in that primary without reaching an official vote count. They did so specifically to take the issue out of the press as it's a clear example of the corruption and malfeasance introduced by universal mail-in balloting. Joe Biden delayed the selection of a running mate by two weeks for unknown reasons it's good to know we have someone capable of taking decisive action only two weeks after saying he would, as soon as he's made aware of the decision his party made for him. COVID numbers began climbing in places on the good country list. In Japan, where masks were widely used, numbers increased as soon as Japan began testing on a wider scale. The Philippines were hit with a genuine crisis we heard nothing about. A few cases in Victoria, Australia, quickly turned the state into a dystopian police state where any movement from one's home is monitored and restricted. They are not allowed to go more than five kilometers from their homes. If groceries are needed, only one person from the household can go get them, and only once per day. People are forced to remain inside by the police guarding their doors. This is madness. New Zealand, who'd been hailed around the world as the perfect COVID success story and the example of what progressive technocracy can accomplish just weeks ago now has a growing outbreak. New cases in New Zealand are met with mandatory quarantines so stringently applied that they're allowing people to be forcibly removed from their own homes. Maybe they'll lock down forever since they truly believe that's what's worked. Now they're planning to delay their election by four weeks. Imagine if that were here. Los Angeles was up to seven fires per day in homeless encampments around the city. Mayor Eric Garcetti might have wanted to do something about this, but he was busy finding out how seriously Karen Bass takes her communism. You know, important work. An MSNBC producer named Ariana Picari penned a scathing resignation letter. In it, she admitted that what MSNBC was doing was not news. Their goal was to provide comfort and entertainment. They base the day's topics on what was trending or what had performed well prior. This is the media business model, as told by an insider. She said the media's behavior throughout the pandemic had certainly cost people their lives. She called cable news a cancer on society that stokes national division and civil unrest. The state media literally profits on the disintegration of the state. They are selling people's biases and hatreds back to them just so they won't feel so empty and alone. This is a sign of degeneracy, pure and simple. On August 3rd, the CDC noted that nearly 4,000 coronavirus deaths were from, quote, intentional and unintentional injury, poisoning, and other adverse events, unquote. This includes murders, suicides, and even accidents on the road, Indeed, only 6% of the deaths from COVID in the United States were not accompanied with comorbid preconditions. 94% had something else besides COVID that contributed to their deaths. This is unremarkable based on how life actually works, but it's shocking based on what we've been led to understand about the coronavirus. The New York Times reported on the biggest monster. The estimation that the world would see an additional 6.3 million cases of tuberculosis due to the lockdowns projected to kill 1.4 million of those in mid-August. The world has seen roughly half that many COVID deaths and the disease has already worked its way through most parts of the world. The BBC reported that Iran had covered up its COVID data. Their death toll jumped from around 14,000 to 40,000, nearly three times what they had reported and double the cases. No one has any idea what actually happened in China, where the disease originated. Black Lives Matter's webpage now has an initiative to help fight disinformation. There is a portal where activists can report articles, interactions, and social media accounts of people who might not be on board with the BLM cause and are therefore hateful racists and bigots. There is a form to fill out when you report that allows you to select which category of thought crime a person is guilty of. This is outside the rules of any platform. People can report whoever they want. Are we to imagine Twitter and Instagram won't immediately downgrade these accounts in their algorithm? This is a systemic exclusion from the conversation for anyone who doesn't chant the mantras. This is profoundly dangerous and Black Lives Matter should be seen for what it is. Meanwhile, Homicide rates had risen by over 10% in 36 of the nation's 50 largest cities. It might be worth asking how many of them are run by Democrats. In Sweden, where Anders Tegnell saved his country from the stupidity and cravenness of his peers, there is no excess death for the population under 65. None. A Gallup poll was released showing that more than 80% of Americans blame the media for the political division. I am one of that 80%, but beyond the media, I blame the old guard for four decades of constant incompetence, malignant dishonesty, and outright betrayal. We have a real problem with how we consume news, and a big part of that is with how we read news. We need to be more discerning. When reading an article, we need to be sure to read every line and consider which things make us feel comfortable or angry. Then consider the framing of those sentences. Are they written in strong declarative terms? Take this recent quote from an Andy McCarthy piece, an opinion on what the Kevin Kleinsmith plea deal, the first charged crime in the attempt to undermine the American presidency means. Quote. The charge is false statements under Section 1001A3 of the Federal Penal Code. That provision makes it a crime knowingly and willfully to make and use a false writing or document aware that it contains a materially false entry of some kind. It is punishable by up to five years imprisonment, I do not know if Andy McCarthy will be proven correct in his opinion. I do know that I do not have to doubt his framing of the issue. CNN's hard news division reports the same story differently. They spend a few sentences on what actually happened, followed by an ad break, and then a 1,500-word explanation about how the Kleinsmith plea isn't a big deal, and that there's no reason to believe what actually happened when we already know that... Everyone knows Trump colluded with the Russians. This is taken in polite company as a valid viewpoint. If the plea wasn't a big deal, CNN should be able to prove that the worst case isn't a big deal, not the best case. Maybe the best case isn't a big deal. I'm happy to admit it if and when it turns to nothing until that time. And that time has not yet come. I will believe that it is possible that the last three or four presidents are capable of plotting to undermine a duly elected president. That is the rooted, reasonable view. You may love Obama or George senior or Clinton or W, but I can't imagine an American who loves all four. I do not believe there is a political mind that can think this except that of every member or potential member of the state institutions in the old guard, trying to control you. If your goal is to play your way into the old guard, that's you loving all four of the presidents indicates a lack of discernment and fawning glorification of power. Consider the somber yet glowing pictures attached to all the articles on John Lewis's funeral. Obama, Clinton and W together, what history. All you have to believe to understand how dangerous the Russian collusion hoax could be is to understand that the president or presidents you despise are capable of doing something so anti-American. In proper perspective, it's not difficult to imagine all of them being capable of it. And indeed, they may all have been involved. Joe Biden is implicated to the same degree, perhaps more, as he was the one who came up with a Logan Act prosecution for Michael Flynn. The thought process should end here because the capability for malfeasance is so obviously true. Obama, the one many people love the most, turned a civil rights icon's funeral into a political speech about Donald Trump. If you hate all four, that should tell you how dangerous Joe Biden is. Why, when these four men have caused such destruction to the country, do we fawn with love and longing upon seeing Clinton, W. and Obama walk together? There is no coherent political or moral philosophy that can account for this. Because, of course, it is not an expression of genuine affection or admiration. It is that the state media, the celebrities, the athletes, the corporations, the scholars and the experts and the apps that contain the scant fullness of your lives all told you nothing more than the good people hate Trump because the state hates Trump. The old guard hates Trump. We have to let this go. New York City's health commissioner resigned, citing the mishandling of the crisis by the governor and mayor the world's two single worst responders to the pandemic in California, Gavin Newsom's chief health official resigned as well. We have not yet heard an explanation and there seems to be none coming. California Democrats have governed the state into chaos. Gavin Newsom is unavailable and unaccountable. The state still does not know where the billion dollars he set aside to buy masks from China actually went or what was sent back in return and who will hold him accountable. We already made sure he wouldn't have opposition by calling all Republicans racist woman haters. Mission accomplished. Axios reporter Jonathan Swan went to the White House for an interview with the president. Swan was roundly praised for his hard-hitting journalism and how he really held Trump's feet to the fire. But Swan was factually mistaken about multiple key issues. And when the president disagreed with him, the state media told us that Swan was the good guy and the president was dumb. In the discussion on universal mail-in voting, Swan pressed Trump on his own voting history and how he had often voted by mail-in absentee balloting, an entirely different subject and one Trump has offered his support for at every turn. Swan did not realize that ballots would be sent out to all registered voters, whether they existed or not and whether or not they wanted to vote in person. Swan later tried to clean this up on Twitter, admitting he didn't realize that California and now Nevada were attempting to send every voter a ballot and drastically reduce opportunities for in-person voting. This is a crime against the American form of government, and Swan's ignorance provided fodder for the anti-Trump contingent. Had he known at all what he was talking about, the current conversation might well be more productive. But what's the point? There's no incentive for Swan to do his job as a responsible, ostensibly objective journalist when he can garner the respect and admiration from his totally corrupted peers by attempting to make the president look foolish. This is standard media practice now. No one does this more than CNN's White House correspondent, Caitlin Collins, Collins regularly tries to distort issues in press conferences by framing questions in ways that obscure attempts at understanding issues. Collins has a new practice of screaming counter narratives at the president as he leaves the briefing room while the mics are still on. She does this in the form of questions for a sheen of legitimacy, but she's really just using the opportunity to imply the president was lying and for this to be the last thing people hear. It is transparently malicious. On the evening of Friday, August 7th, Trump traveled to his golf course in Bedminster, New Jersey. He opened an event to the press and to members of his club. Immediately, the traveling White House press corps took to Twitter to tell everyone in the country, especially New Jersey officials, that the attendees were not practicing social distancing. Trump gave remarks on the breakdown of coronavirus stimulus talks and then took questions from the media. A reporter began by asking what Trump thought of the intelligence reports that Russia preferred a Trump win, but China and Iran preferred to deal with Biden. The reporter, for whatever reason, declined to ask about Iran, but was more than happy to try and link Trump to Russia, a totally counterfactual narrative that a large portion of the country believes nonetheless. Trump handled the question and then turned it back on the reporter. Questioning why the reporter hadn't asked about Iran or why China wanting Joe Biden to win wasn't the priority, he was right. The reporter framed the question in a way that was more likely to make Trump look bad. Naturally, Trump remarked that it was fake news. After five years, people whose brains were broken by having Donald Trump in the White House unable to reconcile this fact with their own self-image, still do not understand how Trump communicates or even what his words mean. They believe he's stupid or lying, and when he's not, he's only looking out for himself. This colors everything. It allows the media free reign to lie in whatever way benefits them. No one who listens to Trump's speeches in their entirety can believe he's lying if they have any understanding of the issues. He is not. He is focused, he's as honest as he can be, and he's completely transparent. Isn't that what we wanted? The state media doesn't think so. The reporter next asked about why Trump's guests were not properly observing coronavirus guidelines, like a bratty younger sibling who wanted to get you in trouble. It was petty and obnoxious. It was pathetic. Trump's guests began spontaneously booing, sick of the media, sick of capricious restrictions, having nothing to do with science and sick of watching Trump being constantly torn down while he's trying to do his job. The press is a national disgrace. And if our society is on the decline, it is the old guard at the center of it, the state media, their messenger. Trump described exactly what the reporters were doing and how they were falsifying the narrative before our eyes. This was met with cheers. It's worth watching the video of this exchange. For the first time in real time, the country voiced its opinion of the media. For the first time, reporters were shown to their faces what the country truly thinks of them outside the bubbles they created. It was a welcome display. The campaign has now begun in earnest as Joe Biden's handlers have named Kamala Harris as his running mate. She has said in the past that she believed Joe Biden's accusers claims of sexual assault. She attempted in a primary debate to smear Joe Biden as a racist, a claim she could have easily landed just by looking at the entirety of his five decades in office. But she tried to do so indirectly and made herself look like the desperate and vicious political operator she has been ever since Willie Brown, the Democratic Party legend from San Francisco, who got her a job in politics while she was 29 years old and dating the 60 year old married man. Harris has covered up child abuse by the Catholic Church while doing more to damage the real lives of black Americans than nearly anyone in political life outside of Joe Biden himself, who wrote the oft derided crime bill in the 90s and worried about his children growing up in, quote, racial jungles. The state media is unconcerned about the myriad problems with the candidacies of the Democrats two nominees indeed they're defying their own past reporting it's now a contest between telling the truth or hurting donald trump and like his 2016 campaign russian collusion the Mueller debacle and a botched and ridiculous impeachment attempt and then a worldwide pandemic their clear priority is to hurt donald trump their goal is to fill the endless demand for anti-trump content It seems these days that a large portion of the country sees their signaled hatred for Donald Trump as the foundation of a good and moral life when it has done nothing but made them sad, bitter, unfriendly, and hostile. The Democratic Party of 2020 has become exactly what we were raised to believe they stood against. With the media providing the fodder, our citizens especially in old guard enclaves like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, and Washington, DC have become tattletales on behalf of the state. It's extremely toxic. I don't want to be with a person around whom I have to choose my reactions based on what they might say about me to my friends or how they might judge me or respond to me. I do not want to experience this ever again. This is the most basic essence of freedom. It is biological. To constantly be under threat of being thrown out of the society triggers a constant survival instinct. It hinders every thought and action and breath. This is the kind of fear that ruins people, and it's why so many simply cannot cope. We are 10 weeks out from a truly crucial election and the party opposing Trump has decided to nominate a doddering old racist who can't think in complete sentences and a conniving political operator who's more concerned about catering to tech giants than the needs of any Americans. I wonder if Kamala Harris even has any normal Americans among her friends. We are now being misled about postal service issues as the Democrats make one last gasp at passing universal mail-in voting in what's become a shameless and transparent ploy to steal an election. There is no justification for changing the rules of an election 10 weeks prior, much less the actual method of voting. The fact that they're attempting to should tell every American that the Democrats know the polls do not show Biden up by 10. Biden's fundraising is being dwarfed by Trump's now that Black Lives Matter isn't actively campaigning. The campaign won't even answer press questions at the lifeless events they've been holding, where the big draw is hearing the two of them repeat talking points that don't even match reality. Like the accusation that Trump said there were very fine people among the neo-Nazis and white nationalists in Charlottesville when the quote in context makes very clear that he was specifically not talking about those people. Our lives are all on the receiving end of malfeasance of public sector unions, the teachers unions, the police unions, and now the postal unions, and the state media tells us they're the real heroes. The old guard decides the course of this nation in accordance with others, based on the needs of tech giants and corporate giants, based on their willingness to fund politicians and their campaigns, sponsor voting initiatives, and now open their own polling places. Academia instills postmodern discourse as a functional political philosophy and students carry it into the real world while the professors do the intellectual work which consists of nothing more than a perpetual process of creating new victim classes and excusing myriad philosophical inconsistencies by funding advocacy studies that only exist to support their narratives. Like the idea that one in four college women are victims of sexual assault, a rate higher than women of the same age who are not in college. They don't even try to map their theories onto reality because they can't. The party uses the academic work to convince very serious people that whatever they say is correct and any dispute is a sign of malicious ignorance. The party then implements its policies, and when they fail, they blame everyone else, unconcerned with the fact that the places where their policies are most fully implemented are the very places that people have been suffering the most and have been for decades." The old guard then co-ops the entertainment culture to embed their political narrative in everything we see and read. It uses popular, albeit clueless, celebrities and athletes to promote their propaganda and supply a moral backdrop to their claims. How can something be bad if LeBron is doing it, right? The state media makes sure that the public story will not ever deflect from the chosen narrative. All of this is done in service of the old guard power. Yes, even the tendency toward socialism. At heart, socialism has always been the ultimate system of power. It makes people ostensibly equal, so long as they all desire what the state provides. This is anti-human. The world is beset with complicated issues requiring nuanced solutions. The socialist response to each problem is lazy. And of course it is, because the socialist brain is lazy. Indeed, these are the only two characteristics shared by all socialists. There are rich socialists and famous socialists, but there are no smart or hardworking socialists. If you see one, that isn't a socialist. They're just playing one on TV, using their stated viewpoint as an element of their own personal brand. The politics are merely an accessory to other priorities, a smokescreen that covers up the fact that the old guard is using its supposed charity to seize ever-growing control over the lives of individuals. They are using the system and using you to erect and maintain a power structure that ensures they and people like them will forever be the ones making these choices, and they call you a bigot for noticing. After five months of media-abetted mayhem, The state media has shown us who and what they are. This level of deception is almost inconceivable, and it's something none of us would or should tolerate from a person in our lives. But we demand it from CNN because we find it personally embarrassing that Donald Trump represents our country. They use the image of Trump as a symbol of everything dishonest and evil. This gives them moral license to say and do anything, including insulting Donald Trump in the same headline that announced his brother's death. These are the same people who cheered Obama's speech at John Lewis's funeral, where he took the occasion to insult the sitting president. As the months wore on, what the media was doing and what it had become shocked me. I spent day after day trying to understand the facts on the ground and medical experts, data experts, and renowned doctors and scientists were providing a far different story about coronavirus than the media. It became impossible to trust anything they say. I thought I was always careful about sourcing my news, but I had not been nearly careful enough. Many of these issues take days or weeks of constant attention to truly understand. Most people do not have the time, and the media thrives on this, particularly among people who consider themselves smart by virtue of who they know and who they listen to, but they are not smart. They are repeating what someone else told them and willing to prove their point of view by sending a meme or a poorly sourced article whose headline agrees with their point. They do not actually know anything. They merely remembered the words, but don't understand the meaning. It's just long-form chanting of phrases and slogans that are nowhere close to true. We have a society of mindless automatons who are prepared to shout treason upon seeing pictures of mailboxes in pickup truck beds. When they are asked to support their views, they'll revert to things everyone supposedly knows, but they aren't willing to make sure one more person does, it seems. They're not interested in conversation, and they're not interested in understanding, much less helping. They're interested in relieving the guilt their ignorance carries without having to upset the comfort their ignorance provides. The hopeful part of the media's self-destruction is a future of decentralized information where trust must be earned and sustained rather than premised on degrees, credentials, and the reputation of institutions incapable of living up to them. Their errors based entirely on personal profit and disdain for a president they believe to be beneath them are what put us here. Anthony Fauci's April 2nd CNN appearance is what drove the concept of nationwide lockdowns, not science. Celebrities posted their own propaganda and their fans and other Trump haters spread it far and wide. They provided moral cover for governors to accomplish exactly what they wished, a technocratic reshuffling of society. Each old guard institution supported the next and we're left with the fallout. Even the scientific community has been leveled through the media's deceit. Who among us will ever truly trust science again? Scientific authority is gone, a casualty of scientism and good riddance. Despite what we were led to believe, there is no the science or the data. There is only a set of facts which we need to understand as fully as possible. That was not on offer. The situation is now dire. We have two and a half months to rid ourselves of the tendency to believe what we see based on the source providing it. They are not acting in good faith and not acting in our best interests. We run to them because Trump is just so very bad. I don't think it's worth trying to convince you otherwise, but it is worth considering how much of the way you perceive Trump is a direct result of how the old guard portrays Trump. I imagine for most people, this is the entirety of the opposition. If that's true, consider everything you've heard here. Does it sound like you should be trusting any of these people? It turns out that Donald Trump, aside from various flubs and spats, has been the most honest, transparent, and patriotic president in any of our lifetimes. Many people will find this statement ridiculous. I encourage you to give him the benefit of the doubt, even for one speech, to see if your mind changes. It is not enough to say you dislike his voice or recoil when he's not nice. Those are the preferences and motivations of children. But we are adults in an adult world in crisis. People say this is the most important election in history, but they do not bother paying attention in any way that indicates they actually believe it. People will ignorantly place their children's futures in the hands of the state, sacrificially offering them to the old guard, like the parent of a child actor trying to make their kid famous for their own benefit. The old guard is at a breaking point. The media is imploding. The Democrats and some Republican grifters are being exposed daily for their rampant corruption, fraud, and incompetence. The tech companies are now restricting speech and limiting the exposure of anyone who seeks to reshape the central narrative. Academics churn out studies and open letters or appear as experts on state media programming, all happy to say whatever state media pays them to say. Corporations are funding Black Lives Matter and essentially giving free, in-kind political donations in the form of advertising and brand awareness. The entertainment industry has pushed itself toward total irrelevance as people ignore shameless celebrity pandering and choose Tucker Carlson over the NBA. The disruption you see will be their death throes. My hope is that enough people realize this before it's too late. I understand the heavy lift required here. No one wants to abandon what they've learned for their entire life and totally reconsider their allegiances, but we must. There is too much at stake to not be right, and there is too much going on in the real world that simply cannot be denied. Tom York once sang, when I am king, you will be first against the wall. It is no chore to find faults in Trump's presidency. Nevertheless, when presented with multiple historic crises, Donald Trump did not try to seize power for himself, not in any way. No old guard institution can say the same. All the control being seized is done so with one goal in mind. Make sure Donald Trump is removed from the White House so the old guard can maintain control. The old guard has been in control for decades. The state is merely a branch. Rare outsiders are allowed entry and the old guard isn't about a political party. There have been Democrat majorities and Republican majorities, but the old guard has remained in control. The state has remained in control. Yes, Donald Trump happens to be president, but Donald Trump is not a part of the state and that's why they hate him. He is not interested in the plans they've cultivated over the last decades. This is the first time in generations that the state has not held the White House. The old guard cares about retaking the White House and nothing more. It's no longer sufficient to repeat their words and force your friends and family out of your life when they refuse to do the same. We have all had enough. It is time to look inward and place the blame where it belongs on the old guard. They hate Donald Trump. And Donald Trump hates them. He is singularly capable of taking away their ever-increasing control of our lives. When we align with something because it is good, we are not required to align with it forever. The goal is to keep ourselves good, and sometimes that means changing teams. The time has come. The old guard is ushering in dystopia, and it's supported by our wealthiest and most privileged people. Those who will be fine, no matter what happens, no matter how little they pay attention, no matter how little effort they exert, understand that the old guard distortion of your life is why you're nervous and depressed. You are preserving the narrative fiction because it is the only one you've known. It was the only one I knew until I witnessed all of this, but it is not true and it is not real. Reality is all around you. How much about the reality you know, the reality you see, and the reality your loved ones communicate to you matches what the old guard says? To those of you causing this decay in the interest of being seen as good by people you deem better than you and those close to you, you are the dystopia. Your team has betrayed you. Walk away. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email Hey Moderator at I'm dot com or use the hashtag Hey Moderator on Twitter.